Welcome to Season 4 of Trying Our Best, a mother-daughter pop culture podcast. Welcome, I'm Michelle. And I'm Ayla. And today we are talking about Season 4, Episode 4 of The Good Place. So where we last left off, there was a shadowy figure approaching our humans, Um, and remember that they're trying desperately because they the time is ticking to see if they can get these four random humans that turn out to be not quite so random to improve. And things aren't going too well. When we open it up, what are they playing, Ayla? Magic Pictionary. So every picture is based off of something that happened in their lives on Earth. And if somebody got the answer correct, the picture would come to life. For example... Um, Tahani and John are, um, doing the Pictionary, and Tahani is drawing a butterfly, and John's like, a butterfly, um, uh, ooh, like the, that lady's lower back tattoo, and then she's like, yeah, and then the butterfly comes to life, and sits on, um, Jason slash Jayanyu's shoulder, and it's all a touching moment until, um, it's up to the blue team, Chidi, um, Simone, and Brent. So, Chidi is up to draw, and he's like, I don't know how to draw this. And the clock is ticking, and he's just, like, thinking and thinking. And they're like, hurry up already! And he's like, okay! And then he draws it, and Simone gets it. And we're like, yay! And then, it comes to life. And since he hadn't drawn it very well, it was a horrible monstrosity that ate the butterfly and started destroying everything around it. We're going to come back to that detail about the horse here in a moment in one of our deeper discussions, but we want to give you a little summary of what else happens in this episode. So we find out that that shadowy figure that was approaching at the end of last episode was none other than Glenn. Glenn, the demon from the bad place. He comes with a message, a pretty disturbing message. He says that Michael is not Michael. Michael is Vicky in a Michael suit. And we know that a Michael suit does exist because we know that Sean used it to torture Michael earlier and said that he would use it to, to haunt the, um, the humans once they got into the bad place. So at first, Eleanor is totally trusting of Michael and thinks that Glenn is just there to stir, stir up trouble. But when she finds out that Michael never told her about the Michael suit and told a few other lies along the way, her trust is broken and she isn't sure who to believe. And so most of this episode is about deciding whether or not to trust that Michael is Michael. And even if he is Michael, whether or not she can trust him now that she knows that he's lied. And later, they discover that there is indeed an imposter, just not who they might think. But we'll come back to that. First, we want to dive a little deeper into some of the philosophical ideas from this episode. Now we're going to talk about, is it okay to lie? Because Michael did lie about the phone call from Sean, and, um... He, he he had that mental breakdown because of it, and he just told Eleanor that it was all a, a trick to get her to be the boss of everything, and, and now we're starting to doubt that, and Eleanor says, but you still lied to me, and Michael says, but it was an inspirational lie. 
So we've had this conversation on this podcast before. It's a, it's a theme that comes up not only over and over in The Good Place, but also just over and over in philosophy. Is it okay to tell a lie? And as we've talked about before, Chidi, for instance, is very Kantian, and he doesn't ever think it's okay to lie. But most of the other characters are kind of more in a gray area. And they're like, yeah, it kind of depends on your intention. It kind of depends on what impact it has. It depends on if people were hurt by it or helped by it. And so most of them are okay with lies in some situations, but we haven't specifically talked about an inspirational lie. What does that mean, Ayla? How does Michael define it? Let's zoom back to that time like a couple episodes ago when Eleanor was feeling very stressed out about this whole running the good place. She was like all upset and being like, I'm just a girl from Arizona. I can't do anything. And Michael goes, but you are just a girl from Arizona. That's why I picked you. You're important. And I, yes, Eleanor was important, but Michael didn't, like, pick her. So, but it really did raise Eleanor's spirit. So was it good to lie in that situation? And some of the other examples Michael gives when he's defending himself, he's like, it's like, oh, it's so good to see you. We'll have to get coffee sometime, knowing that you're probably never actually going to meet up with this person. But you're just saying nice things to be sort of inspirational and make them seem like you care about them. And you probably even do care about them. It's probably not that you don't like them. It's just that even as you say the words, you know that they're they're mostly kind of a just a nice thing you say to yourself and each other rather than a plan you actually make. So our question then is, are these kinds of lies okay? Are these inspirational lies all right? So I think that that was not a good choice. Um, I'm not going to say that Michael is a bad person because of it, because he was under a lot of stress and pressure, but I'm just going to say that I think there would have been a different way around it. Like, he could have said that, um, just because you're a girl from Arizona doesn't mean that you're not important, and there's, like, plenty of things he could have said to, um, without lying to make this better, and I, again, I'm not going to, like, call Michael out on this because he was under a lot of stress and pressure and so was Eleanor. It was really just a bad situation, but I still think that he could have done something else. Yeah, I think I agree with you. Like, it's not like some major flaw, but it it probably is not the best choice. It's one thing that I keep thinking about is that it was sort of a throwaway joke. Michael was giving a list of inspirational lies and he said, or all of Instagram, which we've talked about before on how like social media can present a version of your life that isn't really honest. It can make it look like it's way better than it is. It can make it look like you have have things together in a way that you don't or that things are always going well when you're not being honest about the fact that sometimes they're not going well. And again, like there's not a lot of harm in that individual moment of sharing. But when we become so focused on only saying inspirational things that we're not being honest about some of the harder parts of life, I do think that there's some collective harm when all of those little tiny inspirational lies pile up and create sort of a a facade that makes people not really deal with the harder parts. So, moving on, I want to talk about Michael a little more. So, Eleanor figures out that Michael isn't actually Michael. He doesn't actually look like that. He's still a demon. And so, um, she was like, it's either 
a demon wearing a Michael suit or a demon wearing a Vicky suit wearing a Michael suit. So she, she's like, prove it to us. Take off your Michael suit and show us your demon. Then we'll know it's really you. And he goes, I can't. I'm a fire squid. And so they're they're kind of frustrated that he won't just do this because it seems like an easy way to prove. But he describes, you know, how monstrous he is. And he says, you all would never be able to look at me the same way again. And I couldn't handle that. I couldn't handle every time you look at me, what you're really seeing is this terrible thing that I am underneath. And obviously, this example is very extreme. And most of us are not fire squids deep down inside. But it does bring up the question of, should we have to hide who we really are in order to appease our friends? And And I I think that that's a pretty complicated question because I think we want to be around people who do accept us for who we are. And even if Michael does look horrible and is covered in teeth and oozing juices and smells, he has proven himself to his friends that he is friend worthy, right? That he is on their side, that he is somebody that they can trust. And what he looks like or who he is deep down inside shouldn't change that. I also do want to mention that if he... That if he does become a fire squid, then he will be 6,000 feet tall, crash through the ceiling, set everything on fire, and completely ruin the experiment. But that's a practical argument, and we are a philosophy podcast. So, let's go back to all of Instagram. So, Instagram, you, I mean, some people post their real selves. I'm sure some people do. But, I think most of Instagram is just people trying to make their lives look awesome when it's really not always that great. I think the Instagram example that you're bringing up is a really good one, Ayla, because we do, that's a place where we often hide some of the worst parts of ourselves, right? So if I, for instance, I have anxiety and I am pretty honest and open, such as on this podcast right now, um, about the fact that I have anxiety because I think it's important for us to be open and honest about mental health. And I don't think that people should have to hide that they have mental health issues or that they need help with them. But I don't post every single time I have an anxiety attack and often the pictures that I put up on Facebook are of moments that are that I'm not feeling that way. And so in some ways I am sort of hiding a piece of myself from a lot of my friends, but it's not because I don't think they'll accept me for who I am. It's kind of because I think that showcasing the parts of my life that are most related to who I want to be helps me kind of bring that into being. Like it helps me to focus on the best parts of my life too. And this makes me think about, so I studied um, rhetoric and composition in graduate school and I took a bunch of classes in the communications department and the communications department studied how people interact with each other and how people well, communicate with each other. And there are a bunch of theories about how we present ourselves to the world based on sort of how we think about what other people want to see. And I think that that's just kind of a natural part of being human. So while, no, you shouldn't have to hide who you are in order to be friends with people, and if you truly are having to pretend to be something you're not, that's probably a problem. It is kind of natural to consider what presentation you're putting on for different audiences. And you probably are going to act and dress and talk a little different in front of your boss than you are in front of your best friend or than you are in front of your grandma, right? And that's not necessarily being fake. That's just sort of adjusting which pieces of yourself you put forward in different situations. Because we're all really complex and we might not be squid demons, but we all have 
different pieces of ourselves that are more appropriate for each situation. We all have a little squid demon inside of us. So to shift gears a little bit, there's a tiny moment in this episode that isn't really part of the main plot. Eleanor goes for a walk because she's overwhelmed trying to figure out if she can trust Michael or not. And while she's out there, she finds Chidi, who, remember, has no memory of Eleanor. He he does not know that they were, you know, together, that they fell in love. He doesn't remember that he ever was in the bad place before. Um, so he's out there. What is he doing? Ella, tell us a little bit about what he's doing and why he's doing it. Remember the Magic Pictionary where he accidentally created a giant horse demon that ate butterflies? So, Chidi is drawing horse demons that aren't demons. Trying to make a horse that doesn't eat butterflies. Basically, and Chidi sums it up himself, he says, I feel like I made the world a little bit worse, and so I'm not going to be okay until I make it better again. Chidi is someone who really spends a lot of time reflecting on his own actions and what impact they had and taking responsibility for, oh, I did something wrong. This is what I need to do to make up for it. And in that way, I think that Chidi is my favorite character on the show because I think that kind of work is really, really important. But this brings us of our question of the day. How much responsibility do we have to make up for harm? So pause the podcast, think about it, talk about it, maybe even write about it, and then come back. Welcome back. So we are pondering how much is it our responsibility to make up for harm in the world? And this is actually a topic that Ayla and I were talking about not on the podcast really recently because she and I are both people who tend to internalize and sometimes really kind of spiral when we see other people upset and we kind of feel like maybe it's our fault even when it really isn't. So basically, we are people pleasers. We may go a little bit overboard sometimes um like once i had a friend who was just in a bad mood because uh something that had happened and i tried to do anything i possibly could to make it better because i'm like it's my fault i clearly did something wrong but it didn't actually have anything to do with you and i do that a lot too i just kind of assume that if somebody's in a bad mood it must be about me when obviously there's a whole world out there that could be making them in a bad mood that has nothing to do with me Um, And so the reason that we're talking about that with this question of the day is because one of the strategies that we're both working on using is really holding ourselves accountable for our own actions, really reflecting on when we've made a mistake and what we need to do to fix it. And then once we've done that work, letting it go because we can't be responsible for everybody's reactions to everything, which means we need to pay real careful attention to what harm we actually have done. And the worst part is when two people pleasers try to please each other. It just ended up terribly, like terribly. So I guess to sum that up, we would say that you do have a responsibility to fix the harm that you have actually done. And I would even go so far as to say that 
maybe it's not a responsibility, maybe it's not an obligation, but it's a good thing to fix harm even if you weren't the one who did it, if it's possible. But you then have to also understand when you don't have any control over the harm, right? When it's somebody else's work to do or somebody else's just thing to process that they just need some time and space and that there's nothing you can do to fix it. And so if you are like us and you're people who have a hard time accepting that, that this is a really important lesson to learn, that sometimes you have to really just be reflective on what have I done? What have I done wrong? What can I do to fix that? And then let the rest of it go. So Eleanor's like, I've seen this mood before, and they ate some food, and Titi's fine. But she still has a demon who is stowing away and trying to sabotage this project, and she needs to find out who it is. And so, um, surprisingly, it's Janet. Janet, good Janet, is actually bad Janet. The most fun part of this is how it's discovered because Michael is about to blow himself up, which ultimately gives Eleanor all the evidence she needs that he is the real Michael because she knows that he's sacrificing himself for his friends. And he, he's willing to do this, but Jason jumps up with magnets and tosses them on the, the bad Janet and causes her to transform so that we see who she really is. And I, I just think, you know, Jason isn't given a lot of credit for being a very good critical thinker or always even aware of where he is or what's going on around him. But the reason that he was able to figure it out is because he knows Janet so well and pays so much attention to her that he realized that he called her a girl and she didn't respond with her signature phrase, not a girl. And that tiny little moment was enough to let him know who she, that, that she wasn't who she thought she, he thought she was. Um, and so this episode ends with him acting quite bravely, though maybe not entirely smartly, to do what? So um, he and Michael are heading to the bad place to just go and save Janet. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll find out more about this in the next episode. Oh, and by the way, um, Glenn got blown up into a pile of goo by Elijah Hector. Oh, and they're taking him with them, too. He's in a, in a big container on their way to the bad place. So tune in next week to see if Jason, a squid demon in um, disguise, and a pile of goo can make a difference. <laughs>